Welcome to our class on materialism. This is the this is the sixth of six class. I'm sorry, on I said on material. This specific class is on materialism, but just on stewardship. And so it's been fun to walk uh, through all the subjects over the last five weeks. Um, Clay and I have really enjoyed it. So looking forward to rounding this out today, just to discuss materialism, and then also. Um, next week, there's a variety of topics that will be taught, so I'm sure that we'll hear that announcement, see it in the bulletin this morning, and we'll go back to our normal fall routine. Let's open up with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we're so thankful that you've called us together as your children, as family. Uh, Lord, we just give you praise that we have this common bond with one another because of what your son Jesus Christ has done, that you've reconciled us, that you've brought us back to yourself, that you've delivered us from sin, that you've delivered us from death, that we have fellowship with your son Jesus Christ because of his perfect life, because of the death that he died in place of us for our sins. Father, we give you praise that he's resurrected. And, Lord, that one day he's coming back to make all things right and to gather us home. Father, we pray as we, as we discuss this topic, Lord, that you would um, enlighten our minds, give us a knowledge of who you are and what you want from us. Father, we pray that you would identify, that we would be able to identify by the conviction of your Holy Spirit the idols in our lives and in our hearts. Lord, we pray that we would uh, walk in repentance before you and that we would treasure you above all else. We give you praise for answering our prayers, for hearing our prayers. We pray all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to ask you to take your Bible. We're going to read um, two passages that we want to look at as we, as we go through the entire um, lesson today. So take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 19. After you get to Matthew 19, um, you might put your your note-taking guide there, your finger there, your bookmark there, pen. And then also, um, go ahead and flip over. It'll save us time in a little bit to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Um, as you turn, when I was 11 years old, that was in 1991, there wasn't much more impressive to me as an 11-year-old than the new Super Soaker 200. When the Super Soaker 100 just wouldn't do, the Super Soaker 200 would. Look, it held an impressive 2.05 liters of water. For those of you from Gravit, that's half a gallon. The, um, it was powered by an air chamber on the back, and as you pump it up, it pressurized for maximum uh, soaking, and then also pressure and length. It was, it was really impressive. It came with an adjustable nozzle on front, depending on how you wanted to attack the enemy, and a shoulder strap. I spent days, weeks, probably months, dreaming about how my siblings and my uh, friends would shake in their boots when I was armed with the Super Soaker 200. I saw some grins. There's some of you out there that remember the Super Soaker 200, and the... Um, it, it was quite the impressive water gun. You know, I finally got it. And I'm sure all of you have stories about things that you dreamt of when you were younger. Things that, if you got that one thing, 
you knew that was gonna, uh, it was gonna be a major turning point in your life, right? And, um, and of course, the, the plastic that was created and made in the early 90s just isn't as durable as the plastic that's made today. I'm not sure why. Maybe the sunshine was harsher. But, the, um, but it, it didn't take long. You just can't have a plastic gun with half a gallon of water in it and all the seals not, you know, handle that weight and that pressure very well. So it, it didn't take long. It was broken, you know, and there's disappointment there, and you move on to something else. So just this morning, I want to talk about materialism, stuff, things, things that our heart idolize, and then at the same time, how do we protect our, our hearts? When do we identify that something truly is an idol in our life? And on the other hand, when can we consider something's just a good gift from God, who's the giver of all good things? And then how do we fight materialism? How do we hold one another accountable? That's what we're going to focus on today. That's what we're going to consider today. So if you've already gotten to Matthew chapter 19, I want to read the parable. I'm sorry, I want to read the interaction between Jesus and the rich young ruler. It begins in verse 16. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go. Sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So there's a lot that we can learn from this passage. It has a lot to teach us about our lives, our hearts, and our walks before God. But one of the important things I want you to see is that our possessions are not off limits when it comes to following Jesus. To this man, wealth was the difference between heaven and hell. Do you think about your wealth this way? Is it the difference between heaven and hell? When you follow Jesus, do you follow him with all that you own as well? One of the greatest challenges we face in following Christ is knowing whether our money and possessions have become an idol to us. It's often difficult to discern between when we might not realize we're in trouble because that change can be gradual, right? We may feel buyer's remorse. Have you had that? For some purchase, maybe it was spur of the moment, maybe we thought about it for a long time, but we don't feel like we're really in big danger because, you know, we, we still have money left over. We have money in our bank account, and it's not the end of the day. It was just one purchase. And besides that, we were kind of brought up this way in our culture, in our day and age, weren't we? If it, feel, if it feels good, do it. If you have the money, why not? But before long, what we once called a want, right? What does it become? A need. I need it. And so we become more and more dependent on things and less and less dependent on our Creator, on God. So how do we approach this problem? So instead of doing nothing and allowing ourselves to be passively conformed to the ways of this world, we need to be transformed by the renewing 
of our mind to what God thinks. So to do that, we're going to look today at the right way to value material things. And then in contrast, the wrong way. Then we're going to think about how to be in a better position to prescribe a remedy for our hearts, for our lives, and the best approach to fight materialism. So first of all, let's identify what materialism is. When you look up materialism in a dictionary, it's defined as a doctrine, a doctrine where the highest values or objectives in life in material, in material well-being and the furtherance of material progress. I'm going to repeat that. A doctrine where the highest values or objectives lie, not life, lie in material well-being and in the furtherance of material pro progress. In other words, it's a value system. Materialism is a value system. It's a value si system where buying, spending, and accumulating is what's most important in life. Does that sound like the American dream or what? Now, I think most of us hear a defin like, definition like this and we agree. We say, yep, materialism's wrong. I'm out. But if you look at your life, if we look at our lives, we love to buy things. We love to buy things. Why? Why do we like to buy things? It makes, it makes us happy. It does. There's that instant gratification. Makes us happy. I remember one time, Riggs had worked really hard, and he had a little bit of pocket change. He had some lawn mowing money. And um, we went to the store, and he walked around, can I buy this? No, you don't need to buy that. Can I buy this? No, you don't need to buy that. We were at the neighborhood market, okay? <laughs> can I buy this? No, you don't need that. You can't buy that. And we're driving home. He had been real quiet. This is Riggs. And we're almost home, and he says, I might as well just throw all these dollars out the window. If I can't buy anything with them, what good are they, you know? But we like to buy stuff because there's some kind of instant gratification. They make us happy. What else, what else do we like to buy things? They make us happy. What else do they do? Make our lives easier. Yeah. Well, can it, the stuff that you buy, the things that you buy, can it, can it get you a little bit of admiration? Other people see it, so we get admiration. What about control? Does it give you some type of control, or do you feel in control? So it's a powerful feeling. But what happens if we start to entrust ourselves to these things instead of entrusting ourselves to our Creator? See, that role is reserved for God alone. We're supposed to entrust our time, our hours, our lives, all of ourselves to God so while our professed theology is dead on, we would say materialism is bad. We know, we know that. Our functional theology, how we actually live, can oftentimes be full of holes. And instead of admitting our error, we rationalize our purchases, right? It's an investment. It's an investment. That's the worst used phrase. It's for my kids. It's for my family. It keeps me current with everyone else. Or maybe it just keeps me current with technology. We recognize it's just not the spendthrift who's materialistic also, but it's also the miser. The miser can be materialistic because instead of putting trust in the things he buys, she buys, the miser puts trust in the money that they save. 
the, the value of their checking account, how much is in their retirement savings plan. But in the end, it's exactly the same. We trust the material world for our security and our happiness. Now, money in and of itself is not evil. Money is not evil, but it is like dynamite, okay? It can be either very destructive in your life or it can be a great tool. So it's just depending on how you use it. So how do we use material things rightly? So first of all, let's talk about rightly enjoying material things. Question for you, how do you know, how do we know when we're rightly using material things? The con- our conscience, yeah, our conscience doesn't condemn us. That's a good, that's good. What's another way that we know we're rightly using material things? Yes, in service to others, it's a blessing to others. That's good. Not accumulating, use them in good service. What about, what about you can live without it? I don't have to have this. Like when you have to have something, what does it say about your heart posture before God? That he's not enough. That's right, that I have to have this thing. It's become an idol in our lives. So also if you're using it sinfully, obviously it's not right. Um, if we're not dependent on it, if we can give it up, if we're thankful for it, can you give thanks for this thing, for this whatever it is? And then I think an important marker is there's no regrets. There's no regrets over, over this thing or whatever it is, X, Y, Z. There's no regrets. So now I want you to turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. In 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5, they say, Now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. So how do we rightly use material things? When Paul wrote these words to Timothy, there were false teachers in Ephesus who forbade marriage and the enjoyment of certain foods. They taught that a person becomes more spiritual by denying themselves or by practicing some sort of abstinence from material things. But Paul didn't just say that it was a bad idea. What did he call it? He called it something very specifically. He called it demonic. This is a demonic idea. This is teaching of demons. It's pretty strong words. In contrast, Paul speaks to three things that teach us how to enjoy material things the right way. First of all, we must have a right understanding of material things according to the word of God. God created all things good by his word. This truth is to be believed 
and this comes through faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, but God's word also shows us how to use things the right way. For example, in Proverbs it says, if you, found honey, if you have found honey, eat only enough for you, lest you have your fill of it and vomit. Proverbs 25, 16. So here God's word helps us enjoy food, but also tells us not to be gluttonous so that we regret eating too much. So both knowing the truth of material things, that they're made good by God, and using them according to God's word, it allows us to enjoy material things the right way. Secondly, you look here at what Paul says, we should receive it by thanksgiving. Receive it with thanksgiving. If we're thankful, we recognize that we, what we have is a gift. It's not an entitlement. And this gift points us to the giver of good gifts, a good and generous God. So when we're thankful, we see our role not as owner, but as a steward. And there's no room for pride. In fact, boasting in our possessions is as ridiculous as one of your friends showing up to your 20-year high school reunion in a rented sports car that he can't afford just to impress other people. And that's how we behave about our stuff. We act like everything that we have is ours. But it's not ours. We're stewards. Third, Paul says here that we should give thanksgiving that leads us to prayer. So through prayer, we acknowledge God's kindness to us and the material things that we do have and our dependence on him for them. So prayer keeps us humble. It helps us to humble ourselves before God as we look to him to rightly enjoy what he's provided and not use it for our own selfish ends. So through prayer, we set our hearts on the will of the creator for his creation. So then an appropriate response, according to 1 Timothy chapter 4 in these verses, is that we, are, we believe what God says about material things, that it's true, that we're thankful for them, and we pray in our use of them. So then these things emphasize how to use God's gifts rightly. But God tells us to do one more thing. Later on in 1 Timothy, Paul tells us to set our hopes, set our hopes on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. That's 1 Tim- Timothy 6, 17. God wants us to enjoy his creation. But how do we do this? By setting our hopes on God. So we have to recognize that wealth and possessions are unreliable. Like I mentioned earlier, the Super Soaker 200, it broke pretty quickly. It was unreliable. It didn't do everything I thought it would do. But as you grow up and you deal with grow-up ideas... You realize that stock markets crash, cars break down, businesses close, paintings fade. We'll always be disappointed if we set our hopes on material things. They can't bring us joy. There's only one thing that brings us joy. And if we hope in God, he never fails. He never changes. He's always faithful. So why run after possessions? When we have a person, the one who created all of those possessions, it is only through God that we'll finally be free to enjoy those things the way that he intended for us to enjoy them. But in a fallen world, we often get this backwards. We trust not in God, but in his gifts. So this brings us to our second topic, and that's how we idolize material things. 
So idolizing material things. Materialism is essentially placing the wrong value on money and possessions. So those vibrant colors. Uh, I actually forgot how much, super, how much the super soaker held, the water. I had to look it up, okay? Man, it had some vibrant colors, neon green and orange and yellow. They just attract us. Delicious food, beautiful music, sensual pleasure, sweet aromas. All of these things are, are wonderful gifts that God gave us to be enjoyed. They're there to point us to God and to worship him. I want you to think about a second what it would have been like for Adam and Eve as they woke up in the Garden of Eden and they saw the sunrise. Do you think they were moved to praise God? Whenever they, they walked by, you know, blooming, uh, beautiful tropical trees, were they moved to worship God and what he had done in all of his creation? Um, they were never meant to be an end in themselves. All of this was supposed to point them and point us to the creator. But then centered the picture, and instead of treasuring God, we reject him. And as a result, the gift was valued more than the giver. We soon bowed down to nice vacations, jobs that give us power and status, television, successful portfolios. All of this is idolatry. We idolize money and possessions when we trust them rather than God or when our love for them rivals our love for God. So imagine having a conversation with a friend and your friend says, my job is just so demanding right now. It crowds out my schedule. I'm having time. I'm having difficulty finding time with my family, uh, much less time for church or finding time to be in God's word or even to pray. In fact, I'm not even reading God's word at all much these days. What do you say? I mean, is it wrong to be diligent in your work? No, not at all. We should be. But when we see that someone's just giving themselves to that and they've completely put disregard to what God has put in good order and what has created all these things for in the end, we identify that this has become an idol in your life. So it could be that the idolatry in our lives is hiding behind a socially acceptable excuse. I just want to do good at work. I don't want to get fired. Uh, the truth is, it's difficult to know when we're idolizing things. So from time to time, it's good to take an honest self-assessment. How many of you love self-assessment as much as I do? Now, I'm really grateful. I'm, I'm, uh, I have someone who gives me self-assessment quite regularly. It's really good for my soul, my heart. So, so oftentimes, you know, working through this on your own, you might also ask a dear friend to work with you on this as well. But as a self-success, here, here's some things, some questions for you to reflect on, and these are in the, the handout. Does owning or desiring X, or fill in the blank, distract you from what God has called you to do? For example, working for a promotion at work is not a sin. In fact, it may be a better way to provide for your family, be generous, generous to others, give more. But if I'm obsessing on how to get a promotion to the point that it's distracting me from loving my spouse, serving my family, loving my neighbor, participating with the bride of Christ, then I'm sinning. I'm in sin. And I'm idolizing my job. Remember, Proverbs 28.6, better a poor man whose walk is blameless than a rich man whose ways are perverse. 
Second self-assessment question, what do you delight in? What do you delight in? Are you more excited about things than you are about God? All created things, like we've said, are designed to point us to God. All created things are designed to funnel our affections, our delight, into the Creator. So it's okay to get excited about a big sports game, a delicious meal, or new clothes. But when these things become a dead end for our affections rather than a conduit for us to ascribe all glory to God, to honor Him, and to worship Him, then we become idolatrous. So in contrast, the psalmist was so satisfied in God that he wrote in Psalm 73, 25 through 26, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Can you say that with the psalmist? The third self-assessment question is, how do you react when something is taken away? How do you react when something is taken away? When we're angry about something being taken away, our hearts are exposed. You know, it's easy to see this in toddlers, right? If you're unfamiliar with what I'm talking about, just sign up to serve a Sunday in the preschool area. But is it not true with us as well? I had something taken away recently, and it was, it was in about six weeks ago, and, the, um, and I really got to a point where I realized I had to laugh at myself. I, I was saying, why me, God? Why would you do this to me? Why would you let this happen to me? And of course, it's why not? Be more dependent on me, less dependent on the flesh, right? So how do you feel when things are taken away? Our reaction can often highlight an idol that we built in our lives. It often happens when we're grown accustomed to having a possession over a long period of time, and we've begun to, begun to depend on it. So the rich young man that we talked about earlier in Matthew 19, he went away sad because he didn't want to give up his possessions to follow Jesus. What would be the thing that you would have the hardest time parting with, and why? The fourth self-assessment question, how do you feel when others have more than you? How do you feel toward others who have more than you? So we're ate up with covetousness. And we often think, if I had what they had, I'd be okay. Or we may self-righteously look down on others and think, I'm glad I'm not like them wasting money on that. Right? So comparing ourselves to others instead of finding our sufficiency in Christ invites discontentment into our hearts. Jesus said, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness. Take care, be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Luke 12, 14 through 15. That's something we really got to be on guard, um, on guard against in, in our culture. You'll remember the old AT&T commercial where, you know, all the guys are riding in the car and they all look at their phones and they all laugh. And then the, the one guy, 30 seconds, he delays, he laughs because he just doesn't have the high-speed data that the other guys have. Don't be left behind, right? Don't be left behind. 
New iPhone 15 coming out in September. Who's standing in line? Are we content with what God's given us? Are we always dissatisfied because we don't have what our friends have? I'm not sure it's September, guys, so don't quote me on that. (laughs) I think the next one is really big. Insecurity is driven by fear, right? So how do you how do you react when you feel insecure? How do you do you react when you feel insecure? So oftentimes when we feel insecure, we think, well, maybe if I acquire something materially, it'll be better. So, for example, if I'm afraid that my house is going to get broken into, right, then a ring system, you know, the the ring doorbell, the ring cameras that video and alert you on your phone, it may be a good investment, right? But then again, material things can also be false saviors as well. We need to recognize that it's not just greed that drives materialism, but fear can drive materialism. Insecurities drive materialism. Fear of others' opinions may drive you to materialistically materialistically acquire clothes, right, to fit in, or cars, or furnishings that you might not otherwise buy. Fear of the future might drive you to savings that you might otherwise need. So Proverbs 18, 10 through 11 says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall is his imagination. So while the Lord is a strong tower, the rich only imagine their wealth will keep them safe. Remember, wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. So any questions or comments about those self-assessment questions? Or maybe, maybe you have a self-assessment question that you found useful as well. So next, let's talk about fighting materialism. How do we wage war on materialism? So we've identified materialism. What do we do? So I'm going to give you eight ways to wage war on materialism. First of all, treasure the excellence and beauty of God. If we're going to stop coveting other people's money, if we're going to stop coveting other people's possessions, their stuff, their houses... We need something greater. We need something more desirable. And Jesus reminds us that where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. So we often think of this as a warning about money, but it's also a truth about God. If we treasure him, our hearts will follow. It's only when we take our eyes off God that our hearts find something else to worship. And it's only when we grow in our love for God that he's cherished more than anything that we have. So if we're to loosen our grip on materialism, it starts here. So here are some ways you work to treasure God in your own life. Scripture reading, meditation, such as reading Isaiah 53 or Romans 5 or Ephesians 1 or Psalm 22. Texts in the Bible that are rich in the gospel, who God is and what he's done for us. The second way to 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 do this, to treasure the excellence and beauty of God, is to tell others to tell others of his beauty and his excellence. We call that evangelizing. Read a good book on who God is. This is the third way. Read a good book on who God is, such as knowing God or the holiness of God, the pleasure of God. But also, 
Paul encourages us to recall God's faithfulness to us and the way that he's provided, cared, and grown us. Um, we used to sing the song uh, in church, Count Your Blessings. So do we recall God's faithfulness to us? That's a great way to treasure the excellence and beauty of God. And then finally, just pray. Pray. Meet God. Talk to him. Converse with him. The second way to fight materialism is to remind yourself of the danger of materialism. Paul says, Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. 1 Timothy 6, 9. Greed is idolatry. Materialism isn't just choosing a different path. It's choosing a different God. It's a harmful path, and it leads us away from the one true God. We must seek the emptiness and weakness in all materialism. We must see it. A man may have enough of the world in his heart to sink him, but he can never have enough to satisfy him. So beware of the deceitfulness of wealth. You know, one of the things that I think is critical and the third way to fight materialism is to confess it as a sin. Um, I think there's so much abundance that we have. We've grown accustomed and used to just all the material things, but we don't confess it as a sin. We have to remind ourselves of the dangers of materialism. We must confess our sinful love of money and possessions. I think that sometimes we think of materialism as a behavior to avoid rather than a sin deserving damnation. Oh, I probably don't need such a nice watch, but I just got carried away, right? It sounds so trivial, doesn't it? But if materialism is in fact idolatry, then it's what much of the Old Testament prophetic literature is aimed at. This is what Babylon was judged for. In Habakkuk 1.16, it says, He sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. So when you confess materialism, try to confess its root cause in your heart. Ask yourself why you're spending money on this or that. Is it, is it turning away um, from God? Are you, are you trying to pacify some fear that's in your life? Are you trying to be happy? What is it? What is at the root of why you're spending, spending the money or, or acquiring the goods? So let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Limitations 340. Fourth of all, fight for faith to rest in God. This is so important. It's so critical that we rest in God. What does it mean for you to tangibly trust God rather than your money, rather than possessions? If you're fearful, it means not worrying about things. So Hebrews 13.5 is a sweet verse. It says, keep your life free from love of money. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. If you're greedy, it means focusing less on building your wealth and more on loving God with your time and possessions. This also might mean that we need to get rid of some things that tempt us to idolatry. So repentance is a necessary part for fighting for faith in God. Another way that we can fight materialism is to think about how brief this momentary life is. Think about heaven. When we keep eternity in perspective, we see how foolish materialism is. There's nothing that you see that won't be completely and utterly consumed by fire. It's all going to be destroyed. 
So do you want to be like the rich man in the parable of Luke 12 who built for himself bigger barns? Or do you want to be rich toward God? Do you want the rewards that are given to those who faithfully fight against materialism by God's grace? Jesus says in Revelation 22, 12, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give everyone according to what he has done. This reward is, with, is what the faithful servants in Hebrews 10 were commended for. In Hebrews 10, 34, he writes, For you had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Could you joyfully accept the plundering of your property? I can hardly stand for my kids to touch my stuff, right? Can you joyfully accept that? Jim Elliott said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. A sixth way to fight materialism is to give generously. So how do we store up treasure in heaven? In 1 Timothy 6, 17-19, Paul says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So we're to good, do good works. We're to be generous. We're to share. How do you give generously? Are you open-handed? The, um, I've told the story before. You may have heard me tell this. My, um, my dad is really bad about giving stuff away. And if somebody comments on it, he'll just give it to them. And one day he was wearing a tie, and I said, Dad, I really like that tie. And he just took it off and gave it to me. I said, hey, I don't want your tie. He said, no, it's yours. And he would not take it back. And I, I've, seen him, I've seen him hand a nice handmade like collector's item pocket knife to someone and say, well, it's yours. Because they liked it. And he'll say, well, I didn't want them coveting it, you know. And, uh, but are we open-handed? <laughs> are we willing to share? Do we give generously? So when we give, when we give stuff away, what are we saying? I don't have to have this to honor God. I don't have to have this to be satisfied in God. We fight against materialism. We do that by giving money away. That, brings, that benefits others. It brings glory to God. God created us to love people and use things. But materialists love things and use people. So giving is the opposite of greed. So think about it. If you want to grow in your faith and you want a tangible way to do it, give generously. Signing that check is like signing your own little declaration of independence from the almighty dollar. Hebrews 13, 16 says, And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. And we've talked about this seventh way quite a bit in this class over the six-week period, but a great way to fight materialism is to create a budget. Having a budget is not only a great way to know about where our money is going, but it's also a great tool to help us be strategic and prayerful about our finances. Proverbs 27, 23, and 24 say, Know well the condition of your flocks. Give attention to your herds, for riches do not last forever. When it says know the condition of your flocks, it means know about your, know about your business, your financial business. 
Having a budget can squash fear that comes up because you simply don't know the condition of your finances or flocks. It can help us spend in a way that's more measured, thoughtful, and disciplined. The eighth way that we can fight materialism, and this is why God has been, this is, this is one of the benefits of being in a fellowship of believers who want to grow together and see God and see one another grow in their faith is to talk to others about it. So it's every aspect of our discipleship, we need each other. If you've been going through this class for the last six weeks, I hope you've already talked with or you've committed to talk with someone, another Christian, about your finances. Anyone? hate to put you on the spot. I hope you would consider that. Um, talk with someone about your finances. And let, let me suggest a plan what this might look like. So a few things that you could talk about. First of all, do a self-assessment. Go through those questions we asked earlier, that self-assessment. Use the questions listed in your handout and try to answer them. Think about where your money goes, your spending, your giving, your savings. If you're married, do it with your spouse. So materialism isn't fundamentally about our things, but it's about our hearts. Not the stuff around us, but the stuff within us. So do the self-assessment. Then share that self-assessment with another believer and allow them to ask accountability questions. You should sit down with a Christian friend who you trust and reveal to them your heart. And then here's some questions you can cover with the other person and, and ask meaningful questions. Ask questions that might be embarrassing. What purchase decisions do you most regret? How many of you want to share that? Where are your weaknesses in spending money? How about this one? How much debt do you have? And what's your current plan to get rid of it, to not be in bondage to that debt? How much are you saving in investments? And what's the purpose of that money? Is it to fill up a bigger barn here on earth? What's the purpose? And how much do you give? And how much could you give? I had a great conversation with a friend this past week on the phone. And he said to me, he's, you know, he's always sharpening. He said, uh, have you given away half your income yet? And, and I said, does college count? But are we, are we sharpening one another that way? How much do you give? Ask someone that. How much could you give? Third thing you could do is invite feedback. Invite their feedback once they've gone through these questions with you on how you could be more faithful in honoring God. Be willing to hear what they have to say. Pray about it and examine it against, examine it against Scripture. Remember that our hearts are deceptive, and it's the fool who doesn't want correction and the wise who will accept it. Proverbs 12.1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. Proverbs 12.1. But whoever hates correction is stupid. I just wanted to say stupid twice. Okay, fourth of all, make a plan and act on it. Make a plan and act on it. This might be creating a budget for the first time in order to, um, to prioritize your financial priorities or to tweak the budget that you've already done. Remember, so much of our materialistic ways are driven by fear greed, but ultimately just being dissatisfied in our Savior, in our Creator. Any questions or comments?
I understand that, yeah, it's, it's like a lot of people are just trying to make ends meet, and you feel like you're just trying to make ends wave at each other. The, um, and and I, know, I know how that feels. The, the thing I would encourage all of us to think about is this, while income and budgets are a big part of it, um, the larger part is all that God's given us to steward, which is our time, our life, Yes, possessions. Yes, money. It's all his. And so how we steward all these aspects, I think it's important. So in conclude, anybody, any other comments, any other questions? Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, hard things that I think that, um, that we all need to, work through in these lessons, absolutely. So in conclusion, as we fight materialism, we'll learn to enjoy the things the way God intended for them to be enjoyed. We'll see that our hearts value material things differently because ultimately we value the creator. We'll view money as a tool to do good rather than something to be hoarded. We'll see ourselves more stewards who will give an account to Jesus rather than owners who call the shots. We'll hold our possessions loosely with an open, generous hand rather than with a clenched, selfish fist. We'll experience joy, deep abiding joy, by trusting in our God rather than the sadness by trusting in our wealth. Is this what you're experiencing? And if you're not experiencing that, what needs to change? Let's pray. Father, we give you praise for your word. We give you praise for just the practical wisdom that you've given us. Lord, I do pray that there would be fruit from this time that we've spent together over the last six weeks. Lord, that we would be challenged as a church body to think of how we're stewarding what you've given us. Lord, I pray that we would lean into one another, that there would be great accountability. Father, that we would be completely satisfied in you alone. Lord, that we would destroy the idols that we've built up in our hearts and in our lives, that we would trust and seek you and treasure you above all else. We pray that you would do this by the work of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.